0: Thanks
1: for tuning in to another episode of From Funding to Fame, where we interview the founders and funders currently raising capital on FrontFunder, as well as experts in the private capital markets. I'm your host, Trieste Redding, the head of campaigns at FrontFunder, and I'm excited to introduce more Canadians to equity crowdfunding podcast episode features conversations about a business's current operations and future plans and as a result may contain forward-looking information. There can be no assurance that forward-looking information will prove to be accurate as actual results and future events could differ materially from those anticipated in such statements. Listeners should not place undue reliance on forward-looking information. Today we're going to be speaking with Kate Grant, a renowned business advisor, and Will Shaw, a partner and co-leader of emerging technology at Faskin. Faskin is a leading international business law and litigation firm with more than 925 lawyers with major offices in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Calgary. Their emerging technology practice is a team of over 80 legal professionals nationwide who focus solely on working with high-growth tech companies and venture capital firms. With thousands of startups helped, the Faskin team has a depth of experience working with entrepreneurs and deeply understands the challenges that startup clients face. Here are some highlights. Ranked number one in Canadian announced deals by deal count in H1, the first half of 2023, by Bloomberg. Over $13.5 billion in aggregated tech financing and mergers and acquisitions deal value facilitated in 2022. Have acted for 10 unicorns to date, which is companies with a valuation of a billion dollars or more. Ranked the number one law firm in both announced and completed deals with any Canadian involvement in H1 2023 by Refinitiv and PitchBook ranked Faskin as the number one most active in rest of world across venture capital, private equity, and mergers and acquisitions deals in Q1 2023. Hi, Kate and Will. It's so exciting to have you both join us on the podcast today. This is actually the first episode we've done with uh, two guests, so very excited to have you both featured. How are you doing today?
0: Great, thanks. Really excited to be here.
2: Yeah, we're very excited to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: Fantastic. Well, as we look to to kick things off today, we'd
1: love to hear more about your specific roles at Faskin and uh, you know, the background that led you to this point in your career. So Kate, we'll we'll start with you. Can you tell us a bit about your role as a business advisor and how you've played a, a crucial role in guiding Canadian companies?
0: Certainly. I think, you know, to get to the end, you kind of need to start at the beginning. So I started my career working in tech kind of by accident, to be honest with you, fell into it, graduated school in 2008, and didn't really know what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. It was also an economic downturn, so thought, you know what, I'm gonna just take whatever job hires me, and ended up in tech, and kind of just fell in love with the industry. After doing that for many years, decided to move to the other side of the table and go into venture capital, And then landed at Baskin about three years ago. And it's a really interesting role for a firm to have because it's unique within the firm as well as the legal ecosystem in general, I would say. Um, There's not a lot of me out there. And a lot of what I do in my day to day is really support clients, but then also support the greater tech ecosystem really across Canada. So it's unique in that aspect where I've seen different sides of the story and can really use that knowledge and really use that boots on the ground, been there, done that, to guide people forward, which I think is invaluable to just have somebody you can call that can say, oh yeah, I've been there, it worked out fine, or oh yeah, you're in some hot water, but there's a way out and that is invaluable for clients because otherwise they're calling us and saying oh my god this crazy thing happened and looking at it from a legal perspective you know a lot of lawyers haven't been in a startup and they you know really like i work as a translator i work closely within the ecosystem and can often say, okay, when a client is saying this to us, this is what it means. But then also vice versa is saying, if Will or one of our other partners or associates is saying this to you as a client, this is what it kind of means in layman's terms.
1: I think that's a. Uh, in- Incredible background there. I know, you know, historically, when you, you think of a law firm, you don't think of someone necessarily having that startup or VC background where they can advise these uh, companies who are coming to you for advice. So I can uh, imagine just what uh, an incredibly valuable role that plays as you're working with these different organizations. And um, yeah, I know as we look to kind of the the flip side of that, uh, Will, yourself, you're uh, a leader of the the Toronto Emerging Technology Practice Group, co-leader of the National Technology, Media and Telecommunications practice. Um, as we discussed before, it's a really big title. Um, so what does the role entail? Well,
2: I, I mean, for every role on our team, directly or indirectly, everything comes back to how do we deliver better results for clients? So obviously a big portion of what I do is provide legal advice and my, my legal background is on the financing and MA side. So I spend a lot of time helping our clients on those kinds of transactions and just helping them think through strategically, you know, how to approach a financing round or how to approach an M&A deal. But the other part of my role, which ties into those titles is more on the business side of our practice. We often refer to our practices. It's a bit like a startup inside a big law firm. Um, And those roles, you know, involve everything like hiring. We just hired another person in Toronto, super excited to have them join. You know, we do industry partnerships, training, knowledge management, data, marketing. Um, we're even involved in selecting our tech stack and piloting legal tech for our team. So, you know, the other thing probably to keep in mind with those titles is it's actually not it's not just me i uh co-leader of the national TMT practice, um, but I have other co-leaders I work with. Uh, I lead the emerging tech team in Toronto, but we have other co-leaders in the other regions as well. And so we have this really great team across the country uh, who we work quite closely with, you know, on, on everything in the practice group. Um, we're very lucky to have a, a great group of leaders in Vancouver. We have people like Shiruz Nababi and John Conlon in Calgary. The team's led by Brad Schneider and Jason Gaborski in Montreal. The team includes Costa Regis and Adam Saskin. And I spend a ton of time with that team uh, thinking about things nationally, like strategy, risks, opportunity, you know, budgets, business plans, all of the fun stuff that goes along with running a business. Uh, and a lot of it's probably not dissimilar to what our clients are doing on the day to day. I like to think it builds a little bit of business empathy to you know see things from their perspective or kind of walk in our clients' shoes from time to time.
1: Well, I uh, really like how you, you talked about that um you know you really have that startup mindset or mentality um, within the law firm which I think is incredible that ability to be adaptable and innovative and look for new uh, creative solutions emerging technologies as you said um so I'm sure that's uh definitely plays a big role as well in how you're able to to support clients across the uh, ecosystem in Canada so um I know we'll we'll get back to a little bit more on the the company culture later and how you guys are are cultivating that but uh would love to touch on a little bit more about um, the the mission at Faskin as well. Um, So you talk about how in this fast-changing world it'll take creativity and ambition to build a better tomorrow. So Will, as a partner at Faskin, um, I'm sure you undoubtedly encounter diverse legal challenges. Could you shed some light on the role of uh, a law firm in solving those complex business challenges and how Faskin ensures value for its clients?
2: Absolutely. I mean, emerging tech founders, as you can imagine, are highly creative and they're working with technology on the cutting edge. So we we run into some novel business and legal challenges working in this space. And our approach is we try to be pretty pragmatic about counseling companies. You know, we really want to protect our clients. But on the other hand, we also understand that our clients are going to take risks and sometimes need to take those risks as part of being on the cutting edge. So a big part of our role is just helping clients understand the risk they may be taking on and then trying to work creatively with them to find solutions that can achieve the business objective while also complying with applicable laws. And in some of the more novel areas, you can find yourself wrapped up in two or three or four different regulatory regimes trying to thread the needle, you know, between between all three or four of those regimes. But actually, one of the things I'm most proud of on the team is how we try to help solve business challenges by leveraging our network. It's something that, you know, we don't charge clients for, um, but by virtue of just our position in the ecosystem and how early we start working with companies and, um, you know, how connected we are within the ecosystem, we find that we can actually add a lot of value even outside of the legal services. So for example, we're regularly helping clients find fractional C-suite employees or accounting firms who work well with early stage companies or investors or insurance providers or banking partners and on and on. I just think it's, um, it's kind of a neat thing that we can, we can do from our vantage point. Uh, And, you know, one of the things we've even done from time to time is connect founders to other founders. And we've seen clients have these eureka moments in their business where they're uh, sorting through a business issue. um, But based on the, the, you know, conversations they're having with another CEO. And again, we can't bill for this stuff. It's just, uh, it's it's unusual for a law firm to play that role, I think, but we just think it's, it's part of being a really helpful partner to our clients.
1: It's incredible. Definitely such an important uh, value add aspect of being part of that ecosystem, being able to connect teams and companies with uh, the right partners, right individuals. And I think there is so much that uh, founders can learn from each other. So it can never be, uh, you know, understated making an introduction, you know, chat with someone else who's either been there or might be going through it. And uh, that can help the business so much in the, the long run there. And uh, Kate, with with your role as a business advisor, how do you really utilize uh, creativity and, and ambition and, and play a part in this role of uh, supporting Canada's startup ecosystem as well?
0: So Will mentioned it when he was talking earlier and said, we often act a little bit like a startup within a law firm. I often joke and say, you know, we're not a regular law firm, we're a cool law firm. Um, if you don't get the Mean Girls reference, then... I don't know, maybe I've aged myself out here, but, you know, and that's really how we approach things is how can we be creative? How can we work with our clients to make sure they're getting the right results at the end of the day? And from my perspective, I'm not a lawyer, never been a lawyer. Um, And the way I like to think of it is we get to help companies that are on the bleeding edge of technology really build and hone in on what that next big thing is. And part of that is also realizing that, it might not be this specific idea. I was talking to a founder earlier today and we are just talking about, you know, how his company progressed and their first idea he said to me like, Oh my God, I can't believe I quit my well-paying full-time job to do that. And now they've really progressed into something that is a big business. They're a well-known company and they're really killing it for lack of a better term. And to me, it's really interesting just to see how from those early stages, I remember watching them build this and be like, oh, I don't know if this thing's going to take off and then really watching it take off them, hit the ground running and figure out with our assistance, what is that MVP? What is the beta? What is the next version? How are they raising financing? And the way we like to approach it often too is We are not your typical stodgy Bay Street lawyers, um, as you can, I guess the people can't see what we're wearing, but, you know, podcast, it's an audio medium, but, you know, it's not uncommon for our team to show up in jeans and T-shirts and really kind of walk the walk and talk the talk. And that's how we approach working with our clients as well, is we want them to come to us with problems, be it. I got a term sheet and I think it's good, but I have no idea to my co-founder is thinking about departing. What is our best course of action to I've had some of our clients and either friends of the ecosystem to be like, Hey, I need a good divorce lawyer. Do you know one? And been like, actually, yes. Um, Anecdotally today, I had to bring up somebody that I knew that was an archaeologist. And so, you know, we've really taken that approach of Let's be in the weeds. Let's be in it with them on that day to day because we want to be their phone to friend. We have times when our clients like recognize us out and let's be honest, nobody wants the lawyers at their party. We get invited to parties all the time. It's great. Um, And so that's part of it is that we feel like a friend, we feel like somebody that is helping them, and we're allowed to leverage that creativity within the firm, as well as within our business, to make sure that our clients' demands and needs are being met. We're having a lot of fun while we're doing it, or at least I am. I don't know the rest of them, but <laughs> I like to assume they are, and that we're also, you know, really out there and doing good because that's one of the things that we think about with our practice group as well is at the end of the day, if you become a client, great. But one of the things and one of the tenements of our group is we just want people to get good advice at the end of the day and not go on, you know, call it LLP Google or whatever, download something from somewhere random and then have it cost you a ton of money at the end of the day. We'd rather just, you know, help people in those early days.
1: Well, you guys uh, definitely sound like the cool startup, I can say from experience working with you guys, uh, you definitely are. Um, it's amazing to see the the impact that you're having on the ecosystem. And I think to your point there, when you're, you're a startup and looking for advice, sometimes you don't know where to turn to. And usually you come across uh, a myriad of issues and you may think, okay, you need to find a different uh, mentor for each one or may not know who to turn to. And the fact that you can be kind of that central Go to and resource for these companies and can really send them in any direction as they need to support their business, I think is just so valuable. So the, the work that you guys are doing is is great. Um, now, Kate, on the, the topic of kind of uh, collaboration and, uh, you know, partnerships and things like that, we know how crucial that can be for businesses. And you guys have touched on your network there. Um, so how do you approach building and nurturing relationships with key stakeholders? And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs looking to establish successful partnerships for themselves?
0: Yeah, it's a really great question. It's a question I actually get asked a lot from, I mean, even clients, junior associates, people that are just starting out their career is how do I build a relationship? How do I get my voice heard in a room? How as I as this little startup, go against this big incumbent, that probably has market share, probably is doing okay for themselves. And let's be honest, the saying is nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM. And so how do you as a startup that's just getting off the ground, go in, you know, kick IBM out of the office or whoever that big incumbent is. Um, And I think part of it is get to know the people you're partnering with. Some of my closest friends are actually ecosystem partners of us and we hang out on a regular basis and you know it's 50% business and then 50% life and that actually is a really great way i find to work with people is get to know them get to know their interests and get to know how they like to work for example me and one of our other industry partners We used to go every Friday mornings for walks through Trinity Bellwoods Park, which is a big park in Toronto and catch up over coffee and just talk about the problems she was facing with her board because it was easy. We both really liked to get out and exercise first thing in the morning. And it was a great way to start our Fridays off. And that's like a really great way to start building those relationships. It's a little harder depending on what industry you're in working with some other more traditional industries They just want to be at the office. It's cool. Um, but it, you know, figure out like, do they have kids? Do they have a life outside of work? Maybe they love golfing or tennis and you can do a business meeting over that. Figure out what those key inflection points are to keep them, but also you memorable. The other thing that I like to remind startups about too, as they're working through this is don't ever forget what your startup values are. Having a key vision, mission, values around your company is fundamental. And I know it gets pushed off a lot. It gets pushed off a lot. But it really does help you hone in and narrow in on who you're working with. Why are you doing this? Why are you and your co-founders actually getting up in the morning every day and slogging it out when you could be going back to your six-figure paying job? Um, You know, start with your why statement. And the reason I bring that up is a good partner is going to respect your company's values and they're going to respect their mission. Uh, we have a very firm no jerks rule, and that goes on both sides of the fence, associates and clients. And you know if you're working with somebody that isn't valuing your partnership, what's what's the point, right? Is that somebody that you want to work with in the long term? the answer is probably no at the end of the day there's always another check out there same thing goes for vcs i always tell founders this when raising financing a good vc is a good partner they're going to help you build they're going to help you scale they're going to help you grow the grow the other thing that i would say is kind of you know a bit more on the money and businessy side of it is Understand what their business goals are, but also understand who you're partnering with and that you're going to the right line of business. This is especially critical on B2B because when you deal B2C, it's I'm trying to sell Will X thing. Will is hopefully going to land on my TikTok ad and purchase X product. It's very hard. I sympathize with anyone trying to do B2C out there. It is a slog. However, when you're selling B2B, you're probably selling into a large organization and there is many different business units. I can almost guarantee they're siloed, pretty much, most are. Um, If you aren't, I would love to hear from you because I think everyone else needs to learn how not to be. And then figuring out too, where's the alignment there? So if I'm selling a product that is going to help Will manage his time, for example, I may look at that and say, okay, I understand Will's key pain point is he doesn't have enough hours in the day. Our product is going to free up X amount of hours in your day and really hone in on what that problem is that your customer is seeking or what your partner is seeking and say, hey, we have something that's going to help you. It's going to give you time back, it's going to give you money back, and it's going to help everyone in your organization at the end of the day. Those are lofty goals, <laughs> um, but you know it is possible to get there. And I think making sure there's that alignment with key stakeholders and making sure those key stakeholders are in the room from call it day one, day two, makes a world of difference. I see so many partnerships fall apart because I go talk to somebody that's a middle manager. Middle manager goes to their manager. The next one up is involved. And then it goes up the food chain and the person at the top goes, well, I don't care about this thing. I've been looking at this thing over there. And the whole deal just falls apart. So, you know, make sure all the key people are involved since day one and also make sure that those people are active in the conversations and that somebody is actually the stakeholder and somebody is kind of holding the ball at all times, because if nobody's in charge, everyone's going to assume that somebody else is going to do it. And, we know what they say about the suit. Um, the other thing I will leave off on because I realize that I've spoken a lot here is nothing is free. If you're going into a partnership with somebody and I'm speaking more on like kind of a sales partnership versus an ecosystem one. Uh, but when you're doing a sales partnership, never, ever, ever, ever give away your product for free. And the reason I say that is because even if you're charging somebody a nominal price, they're gonna value that product, they're gonna use it, and then they're gonna see the value. Like, raise your hand if you've ever you downloaded a free app and then just never deleted it and never used it, or the tree trial was up and you're like, eh, I never opened it, but like, I don't really have time and I don't really want to invest with the, whatever it is, a per month subscription fee. So, case in point, Even if it's nominal, it also helps you show ARR, MRR, and it shows investors that people want to pay for your product, which is kind of cool. Absolutely,
1: Um, incredible advice. I think there's so many fantastic tidbits there for uh, any entrepreneurs who might be listening. Uh, Certainly, always bringing the business back to your to your why and how that translates to your your mission, vision, and values is key. I uh, really liked your point too on you know understanding kind of who's behind that partnership or organization. At the end of the day everyone is just a person, right? And sometimes it's as simple as bringing things back to basic and maybe you know oftentimes people are intimidated whether it's chatting with investors or a vc or other things but always forgetting that it's just it's a human on the other end of the table um so i think remembering that and and being able to to build relationships as part of that and, and empathize and relate to other people is such a key aspect of it and um yeah i think as you're you're looking to build partnerships uh knowing who in the organization to reach out to is key i had uh, My first internship after university ended up in a a role doing some prospecting. And one of my first outreaches, you know, was trying to identify who in this department you know company should I be reaching out to it was the completely wrong department and the guy was nice enough on the other end of the email to be like hey by the way this is the wrong area good luck uh, you know learning more about uh, prospecting here's who to reach out to Um, but it's always uh, such an important part of the conversation you know identifying who's that right lead how to get the organization involved and kind of have that key driver bomb as part of that as well so fantastic advice Kate thank you so much for uh, going into so much detail there Now, looking a little bit kind of more specifically at uh, the legal side of things as you're a a startup and uh, an early stage organization, um, Will, what advice uh, can you offer founders who have that great idea and are now looking to get started on incorporating their business and really formalizing things a little bit more?
2: Yeah, one of the starting... when you're incorporating a business is actually understanding that like a regular business and a VC-backed business look reasonably different from a legal perspective. And so it's helpful even in the earliest days to start thinking about the growth path for the business. You know, are you going to run this business and generate cash flow for 30 years and hand it down to your kids? Are you going to raise money and sell the business in five to 10 years? What does your end state look like? And, you know, you're thinking about how you're going to get there. At one point in time, it seemed like everyone... Is trying to build these venture-backed businesses, um, but that you know that high-growth VC-backed path isn't right for every founder. It's certainly not right for every business model. So spend some time researching the market. You know how have similar companies grown in your space. If you're building a services business like a law firm, you're probably going to have a hard time getting venture-backed. Um, so then think about you know if you're going to need capital, where is that capital coming from? And then we can help you build a plan from incorporation based on. You know, based on that path, but the earlier a founder can figure out what kind of business they're building and whether it's a regular business or a venture backed business, you know, the better position we're going to be to help them um, and to put in place the right tools that they're going to be able to leverage at different stages to ultimately get them to that end goal.
1: I think that's fantastic and definitely um, you know, I would say something in our experience talking with a lot of founders and companies too, or even looking at the the prospects who might come to FrontFunder is, you know, we we also have had a lot of organizations reach out and it's like, well, really is accepting capital from these investors the right approach for the business? Is that the path that you want in the future? Like, are you looking to sell this in the future? Do you want to keep it within the family or something that's, uh, you know, more locally run and managed? So um, it's, it's incredibly important, but I think uh, not a conversation that enough uh, founders have early on either really thinking about that end goal so it's great that you guys are able to kind of support them throughout the process but also you know give that uh, food for thought on where they should look because yeah to your point structurally uh, you know you're going to look at quite different paths for the company depending on which your uh, ideal end state is for sure.
0: And just to add on to that too is that end goal can in theory change. I kind of tell founders as they're going through this, like wh- one to engage counsel, usually it's ASAP. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I'll talk to a founder and be like, you are not ready for us yet. You are not ready to incorporate, like you, you have a name, but no idea. Um, call me in six months. Um, And, you know, I think it's a really pragmatic approach because we don't want to waste their time and money if they're not Going to be able to get something off the ground, right? It there's it. It's not free to incorporate. Um, and then the thing I would say is to founders is you yearly think about your company and think about where you want your company to be as it grows and scales. I may say I want an exit in six years. I get to year three and just think, oh, I want an exit now. This company's killing it. The market's right. I'm out. I'm ready for that next idea. And make sure you're reevaluating and having I like OKRs, Objectives and Key Results. Um, there's KPIs, there's a bunch of them out there you can choose from. But I like to revisit them you know, once a quarter and just be like, am I still rowing in that direction? And it's OK to abandon one and say, you know what? This didn't really work out. I don't think I want to spend any more time on it. But this thing over here is really attractive. So I'm going to do a little bit of digging on it. And then that may pivot certain things. And that really may help you understand where the company's going. And, you know, if you don't want to be a high growth, venture backable company, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with building a really successful lifestyle business. Um, There's nothing wrong with wanting to scale something and say, I'm really happy growing this thing, bootstrapping. But there's also nothing wrong either with saying, I want to build a nice little family business that's going to support me and I'm going to hand that off to my kids one day and they're going to hand it off to their kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So there's no right or wrong answer. I think it's a lot of just call it self-discovery.
2: I try to avoid the term lifestyle business these days because it's taken on a bit of a pejorative connotation. I started um, actually at the kind of insight of a VC friend started using the term regular business I think that lifestyle business idea is kind of like oh well you know it has this this inference that maybe you're not going to work as hard if you don't take on venture capital and the reality is sometimes you're going to work a hell of a lot harder by not taking on that funding and being able to hire people to help you scale up and those kinds of things so yeah I have really tried to uh, reorient my my terminology uh, towards regular business over lifestyle business
1: It's an interesting one for sure. I think, uh, yeah, lifestyle business, maybe you have a connotation of, Hey, maybe it's a a TikTok influencer bringing in money or maybe it's this when, uh, yeah, maybe what you just mean is, uh, a regular business that's different than a venture backed one. So really interesting there, but I think such valuable points. And I think uh, Kate, as you mentioned there, um, you know, really using OKRs and other things like that for strategy. That's something that we do as a business as well. And it's so important to kind of be that guidepost and figure out where you're headed. And yeah, strategy may change over the years as well. Your your exit goal for the business may change. So how to best kind of manage that and have those conversations when you need to is, is really important. So I think that's a great advice uh, across the board there. Now, uh, as you guys work with these early stage and startup companies, you've highlighted the fact that you really have that startup culture yourself at uh, Faskin. That's something that you guys have, uh, you know, definitely communicated or are proud of. And as one of Canada's most, you know, prominent law firms, I think that's pretty incredible that you've been able to create, cultivate and maintain kind of that uh, startup culture there. So How would you say the the firm helps to foster that startup culture? And, you know, why is that important when setting Faskin apart from other firms as well?
2: I think we're a very entrepreneurial firm by nature and by history. Our firm's history is very closely intertwined with tech and mining, which are both fast paced, you know, high risk industries. Uh, They often involve working with earlier stage uh, companies and founders, you know, who are figuring things out. Uh, And so, for example, like one of the things we do on the business side of our team is we we try to run experiments. It's a bit of a lean startup method where we know it's not going to be perfect right away, but we just try it out. We get it out there. We get feedback. We iterate. We improve. And over time, you can find some really interesting breakthroughs. But the funny thing about the practice of law is it's an industry where you need to be right. And so law, the practice of law requires a very high degree of accuracy. But a lot of businesses require a culture where you can be creative and you can experiment, uh, which means not always being right. And so, in a lot of ways, I think there's this dichotomy that can make law firms a challenging place to be entrepreneurial. You know, we've worked really hard to build those two cultures into our firm, and I think the the genetics for that culture are already laced through the firm as a result of our history in tech and mining. You know, but we're just we try to be willing to be creative, experiment on the business side while understanding there needs to be a, a very high degree of precision on the service side.
1: It's a, a fascinating perspective there, for sure. I think that's a, a great outlook for the organization to have. Uh, Kate, what are what are your thoughts on fostering that startup culture?
0: Yeah, I'd agree with what Will says. Uh, I think, you know, it is who we are at our ethos. It's kind of in our DNA. Um I think the one thing I'll add on to it as well, just specific to our practice group is we spend a lot of time thinking about call it the business side of the business, but then also understanding the world and the ecosystem and what is market. And, you know, we never want to be like, there's this term of being like, call it your, your lawyer's lawyer, where letter of the law, very. The usual kind of when you think of a lawyer <laughs> um you know we we really want to make sure that the people in our group understand the ecosystem they're working in and that they're approachable and that our clients are never going to be afraid to call us because they don't understand something or there's a dumb question whenever we do presentations we do them a lot in the ecosystem we usually start off by saying like this is your time You can ask any question if we throw out a term that you have no idea what it means. Just raise your hand and say, like, you lost me about 10 sentences ago. And there's nothing ever wrong with saying that. Um, The other thing, too, I think is as a team, and I don't know if this is just part of the Faskin culture generally or if it's our team specific. I think it actually is part of the broader culture is everyone is very willing to help and nobody has that big sort of ego a lot of our team the way we work is when we work with our clients we have a very client first attitude and we want to make sure that people are getting the best service and the best advice possible so going back to what Will said about you need to be right on the law side but then we can kind of you know throw it against the wall and be like okay we're not going to get it right the first time but the third time we're definitely going to nail it and going back to that is we really like to work as a team on certain things. So if I'm jammed up one day, I know that two of my colleagues are able to jump in on a client email for me, or I can text somebody and say, Hey, I'm not feeling well today. I'm not going to come in. Can you do this call for me? Because I'm just drowning over here. And that nobody ever is going to be like, Oh no, I'm not touching your client. That's gross. Um, There's no mentality of ownership in that sense where These are my clients and God forbid we'll ever speak to them on the street. That just doesn't happen in our group. And then I think there's also the training element, to be honest with you. We regularly take our associates out to events with us. We regularly make sure they're getting out in market. Um, We are a team of introverts and then there is myself. Um, we kind of on the fence, I think, I don't know, you're you're definitely more on the introvert side than I am. I'm the extroverts extrovert like the lawyers lawyer. Um, but I will say to our team and say, Okay, we're going to elevate and then we're going to go to this party. And the more you do that, and the more you get out there, and even if you just talk to three people, those are three more people you're going to know for next time. And then the next time you go to that party, you'll see those same three people because as we all know here tech is very, very insular. And, you know, it's, it's 0.5 of a degree of separation, probably less than most people. And being able to just have one familiar face in a room can help make a world of difference. And I think that's something we've really ingrained in our group. And, you know, broadly speaking at the firm is having each other's backs making sure that we can rely on each other but then also knowing as say somebody starting their career somebody who's a bit more junior that going to talk to somebody and being invited into these spaces is not something you're going to be thrown to the fire one day and have to learn as a fifth year associate because learning to be an extrovert is hard
1: no that's that's great i think um really developing that entrepreneurial mindset within teams is so important. And that's usually the biggest point of feedback that we get from a lot of the entrepreneurs that we work with and how they kind of lead their teams and create a positive culture. And it it usually is, you know, finding those individuals who have that entrepreneurial drive and and cultivating that and nurturing that in a way that really has it permeate across the organization where everyone has that same mindset. And that usually comes with, uh, you know, wearing multiple hats, being very collaborative, not working in silos, which, um, you know, when you're a young early stage company is so important for that Adaptability and and being able to you know kind of iterate as you go. So it's great to see how you guys have uh, you know really brought that in internally to the organization. And I can only imagine how much that that helps all the early stage companies that you work with as well. Now taking a, a step back and looking a bit at more of the the landscape from a, a legal and venture capital perspective, I'd like to to ask, ask you each some questions to get kind of your advice on on things are at. So, uh, Will, with you know the legal landscape really constantly evolving with new regulations and compliance requirements, that's something that we ourselves as a company are always looking at and monitoring as well. How does Faskin stay ahead of these changes and provide rel- uh, or relevant legal guidance to its clients, ensuring that their businesses are able to remain you know, well protected?
2: Yeah, tech companies can have surprisingly complicated legal needs from a surprisingly early stage. So one of the benefits of a large firm like ours, and I, I believe we're now the largest law firm in Canada, or we are officially the largest law firm in Canada. Um, is we just have a really Thank you. We just have a really deep bench across the country. Um, you know, we have a lot of people who can go deep on a lot of topics and the way law has kind of evolved is um, you tend to have more and more specialization uh, in particular at the large firms. Uh, and what that means is, you know, people are keeping up with the changes to the law because they are going deeper and deeper down those rabbit holes. You know, as a firm, uh, we've been very focused on working with tech companies for a long time as well, which means, you know, that learning curve can be pretty quick when we're working in new and interesting areas of law. Um, I always remember going down the blockchain rabbit hole. Uh, and it was, for me, it was back in kind of 2016, 2017, and there were all of these issues uh, especially around the securities law side of things, and I was doing a little bit more securities law work at the time. And um, it was just by virtue of of having a keen interest and in having a sort of much more focused concentration area um, that I was able to to get a deeper grasp of some of the issues our our clients in the crypto and blockchain space were were facing at that point. Um, but I think that combination is a really powerful one because you know I might be able to go deep on one area, but you know, the next thing that comes up is going to be another regulatory issue. Maybe it's related to AML. And, you know, so you, I'm not going to go deep on as deep on all of those different areas as, as our clients often need. But if I have a really strong team that I can work with, if we have a deep bench at the firm, you know, if we have that culture in the firm where we're all, we all want to help tech companies, you know, we all understand the importance of tech nationally into our ecosystem and, you know, Within the firm, it's a it's a it's a very high priority to work with even the really early stage companies. You know that they make sure that they uh, feel like they are being treated um, like a first class. You know, they could be Coca Cola for you know all they know. Like they're getting a really high level of service. That's super important to us. And I think the combination of that that uh, deep expertise and that tech industry experience becomes a really powerful combination. Uh, for advising tech companies as as laws and technology is evolving
1: absolutely i think we we looked up some numbers and you guys provide solutions for over 50 industries have more than uh lawyers focusing on advancing M&A strategies, another 600 available to step in with advice on tax strategy, competition, foreign investment laws, and obviously all the work that you do on the tech side. So I can imagine really just that uh, deep bench of, of lawyers and expertise that you guys have built up over the years. And certainly in cultivating that you know mindset of really being a startup and collaborating and being able to step in on any account um, really can provide that expertise and that value add that clients need for sure. Now, uh, Kate, looking a little bit more at kind of the venture capital landscape. I think it's it's no secret that there's been some challenges on kind of the, the funding side and the investment market over the last year. And uh, you work closely with your clients on non-legal matters, um, you know, including uh, venture capital, scaling companies, marketing, product, business development. So with the extensive uh, experience that you have, what key insights can you share about the current landscape of venture capital investments and the unique opportunities that entrepreneurs face when seeking funding for their innovative ventures?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, if you've picked up any tech newspaper last couple of months, you've probably all heard the same story. It's a tough market out there, and it is. However, we've lived through this before, and we're going to come up the other side. I am an internal optimist for better or for worst, and I think that there's certain things that are really going on right now that are giving positive signals to me we're still seeing funding happening we're still seeing funding rounds going through we're still seeing entrepreneurs create great companies and if we were you know i i think i saw a headline a couple months ago is like the death of canadian tech and i'm like let's calm down here people let's chill a little like come on <laughs> and thinking of it from that perspective you know it's about figuring out that you're pitching to the right people that you're talking to the right investors that you're looking at things like your burn rate, you're looking at overhead, what can be cut. And as much as I hate the idea of doing a riff, looking at other things first, before you do that riff of people and thinking, okay, do we really need this office? Probably not, kill it. Do we really need to print out every single piece of paper? Probably not. (laughs) You're killing trees. And understanding how you can make a dollar stretched just that much further. I think the last previous years have been unprecedented. And I think that's something that people really do need to remember It's the last, I don't even know now, like handful of years in venture financings have been ludicrous and things are starting to course correct and things are starting to even out to what it was probably before this, what they call a super cycle. The thing that I will say is when you are going out and fundraising and the approach that I often take on the fundraising side is think about how much do you need to raise. Think about what that is going to get you and think about how you're going to spend that capital efficiency. Sorry, efficiently not efficiency. Um, both are great, fiscal fiscal efficiencies here. Um, and thinking about who do you wanna work with in the long-term, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about partnerships. Your VC should be a good partner to you and understand your business and understand how they can assist you. And so the biggest kind of things I'll say here is for entrepreneurs, even if somebody is willing to write you a check, the terms are bad, you don't really like the person, They're not going to understand your product. Maybe that's just not the best funding route for you right now. And maybe that's not the check you want to take. I know it sounds very doom and gloom. Like there's always another check out there and nine out of 10 times. That's true. You will always be able to find somebody else to help you fund your company. The other thing I would say too, is a down or a flat round is better than no round. And I think a lot of people have been very wary about doing a down round, or even doing a flat round, or doing a bridge, or taking on some debt, because traditionally these things have been looked down upon. Raising capital at the end of the day, yes, there's a lot of mechanics behind it, but also there's a lot of storytelling as well. And it's being able to say, yeah, we raised our first round during a super cycle when everyone's valuations were going gangbusters. And then our VCs at the time were potentially telling us spend at all costs because that's what everyone was saying a few years ago, throw money at that problem. You need more. Cool. Now we've kind of taken a step back from that, (laughs) And I think when you go out and raise those subsequent rounds is being able to say, yeah, we had to do a flat round or a bridge or whatever it is, but you have to recall, we just came out of a super cycle. We raised on this crazy valuation. And now we're here and this is the story that we have to tell and more and more founders have been getting comfortable with that and I think it's a good approach to think about raising in this sort of market and you know Canadian funding is not dead Canadian tech is not dead, despite what some articles may say. Um, I'm still seeing rounds going I am still seeing checks getting deployed, so I think it's a good thing all around.
1: Great advice. I, I think uh, to your point with that uh, super cycle there with how high valuations were, a lot of companies are now at the point where they're needing to raise capital and they're not sure what to do with, as that next step because the market's not demanding the same valuations as it once was. But it's uh, important to know that there are options and it's also very valuable to know that uh, you can say no if the offer is not one that makes sense for the business as well. So I uh, really appreciate that advice there. Looking at uh, as well, venture capital as a whole. Um, you know looking at it through through different lenses. female entrepreneurs typically only get roughly 2.3 percent of venture capital funding and uh, women on average invest 29% less than men. So trying to create a more inclusive ecosystem across the board if uh, you know question to both of you if you could change one thing about the funding ecosystem, what would it be?
0: I can go first. I promised Will I wouldn't get up on my feminist high horse on this one. (laughs) I'll just get out the feminist, the feminist pony is in the stable though. So, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, I mean, I think it's gotten better. It has actually gotten better. And when I started my career in tech, it was in the early aughts and I'd look around the room and be like, oh, hey, there's, there's the other woman. Hi, hi, remember me? Hi. Um, And it's changed. Definitely. There's a lot more diversity. There is a lot more female entrepreneurs. There's a lot more diverse entrepreneurs. Um, I know a lot of focus goes towards female founders, but I actually think personally that it's a broader scope. Um, Let's just say there's more wills than these out there still. Um, No offense will, but I think there is definitely things that we can do on the mentorship side from both the entrepreneurs but also on the VC side that we've seen great strides in so we support organizations such as canadian women in bc CVCA. um there's other ones out there elevate women plus for example i'm doing a speaking engagement with them next week talking about you know how do you even negotiate with a founder how do you even negotiate with a bc like what the heck is a negotiation um because most people aren't taught how to negotiate in school I know I sh- sure as heck wasn't um I'm sure Will was but <laughs> he also went to school not for literature um we didn't do much negotiating pride and prejudice unfortunately And um, but I you know I would say I think bringing more women into this room and it kind of goes back to one of the ethoses that we have here around mentorship at the firm and making sure that our junior team members are being included and are being taught things that are going to help accelerate their careers and looking at certain founders from diverse backgrounds and be able to say, okay, I'm going to take a bit of a flyer on this founder potentially, but I want to help him or her or they scale their company. And we've done this work, kind of since I started and even before that, in being recognized for many of those things. Uh, For example, Faskin is the first, and I want to say only official sponsor and partner of um, Toronto Pride. So we do a big thing in the Pride Parade every year. Um, We also have worked closely with Gradient Spaces, which is an LGBTQ2+, I hope I got that acronym correct. If I didn't, I apologize. accelerator program and you know we put a lot of time and effort into working with those kinds of founders as well. So I think well yes, it the stats are still sad to me. It has gotten better. And I think that's what we need to focus on again, eternal optimist over here. Things are slowly getting better and it's not going to be an overnight thing that happens, right? you know, we're not going to have these stories of me too published and all of a sudden it's going to just change on a dime overnight. Things take time. And I think that's what I like to remind people too, is things are happening. They're happening really quickly and they're happening at a pace that's pretty much almost unrecognized. However, it's nobody's, you have to run or you have to walk before you run. And I think we're at that I don't know what, what is between run and walk and jog? I think we're at a jog's pace now, maybe.
1: (laughs) Well, amazing response. Will, anything to add on that?
2: Yeah, look, when you layer in the systemic challenges, so the macroeconomic challenges, it's just, it's an unbelievably difficult uh, fundraising market right now. But I think one of the things people are missing, it's actually very hard to raise a fund. It's hard to raise money for your company, but it's also really hard to raise a fund right now. And so- we're seeing some really accomplished investors struggle to close their next funds, let alone first-time fund managers. And I'd actually love to see more funds led by diverse GPs. Um, I think that would have a very positive uh, impact on the ecosystem as a whole. Anecdotally, I sit on a lot of in on a lot of board meetings for our clients, and it's actually incredible the kind of insight you get when you have that diverse set of perspectives sitting around the table at a board meeting. I'd go as far as to say more founders would benefit from just actively seeking diverse points of view in the boardroom. And the reality is, you know, we need a greater number of funds with diverse GPs leading these funding rounds, getting those board seats, um, which means we need LPs who see that as a priority, you know, the funders of the funds out there to see this as a priority and be willing to back those funds, even if, you know, they have, you know, GPs with, with a uh, relatively limited track record, or how do we make sure that we, to Kate's earlier point, mentor and train up GPs from diverse backgrounds so they can bring diverse perspectives, they can bring forward diverse founders and fund those founders and those companies. Um, you know, I think that would, that would do a lot for the ecosystem. It's just, it's a really in this particular moment in time it's also just a really challenging problem because not only is it hard to raise money for your company but it's it's really hard to raise money for your fund
1: that's so important and i think a fantastic perspective to have there it really uh you know starts at the top and we need people across the ecosystem in in different positions uh you know acknowledging what needs to change and and being able to to make those changes as well now as we uh get close to to wrapping things up here today i wanted to go through uh couple just uh, rapid fire questions about um, uh, Faskin and kind of the role that you guys play. So uh, Kate, um, what types of companies should consider working with Faskin? Is there a particular industry that you look for?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, We actually don't have a particular industry we look for. So we like to say we're industry and tech agnostic. Um, Our biggest caveat is we do want to work with the high growth companies of the world. So people that are looking to go VC backable, but I always encourage people to reach out, even if we're not the right fit, finding a good law firm is like finding a good partner at the end of the day. Um, If we can't help you, we actually usually try and make an introduction to somebody that can. And so I always tell people, give us a call, uh, both myself, Will, as well as the rest of the team, we're always happy to have a 30-minute chat with a founder just to learn more about the company, learn more about them. And it's a two-way street, right? We may love a company and they're like, God, I hate that Will guy. What a jerk. Um, I also, during every speaking engagement, have to dunk on Will at least once. So it's it's tradition here at Faskin. Um, but, you know, it's two-way street. So um, he probably hates working with me too. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, we're always happy to.
1: That's great. Now, uh, Will, at what stage of a company's life cycle should they consider working with a
2: law firm? Yeah, I'd say there's three things to think about. Are you raising money? Are you bringing on customers? Or are you creating valuable IP? If you're a tech company and you're doing one of those three things, you should think about working with a law firm because the decisions you're making at that point in time are going to impact a bunch of other things you're going to do down the road.
1: Fantastic framework. Now, uh, Kate, last one here. Can you share any key partnerships or strategic alliances that your company has established or plans to establish to enhance its growth or market position?
0: Gosh, I mean, I think Will alluded to it earlier that we have somebody exciting joining the team very soon, which is still confidential, but... um... We're very excited about that one. Um, so, I guess stay tuned. <laughs> um, maybe we'll get them on here at some point. Um, but I think, you know, in general, we really like to work a lot with the ecosystem. So, I spend a lot of time working with places like Mars as a venture advisor. Um, I work a lot with Next Canada in an advisory capacity. Um, I've mentioned a couple throughout this whole podcast, so I feel like I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain for who I haven't given a nice little shout out to Antler. There we go. Um, Antler is a great one that we spend a lot of time with as well. Early stage, 111, which is a little bit more later stage. Um, and you know, we really like to spend time working with various organizations, be it on a partnership level, be it on a phone, a friend level. And, you know, we really believe in being present and so what i like to tell people is when we do start engagement is we're never going to be those people that are like here's my check put our logo on your wall call us in a year when it's up for renewal we much rather spend time with our partners and get to know them and get to know their companies and get to know the people they work with and build those deeper bonds and relationships
1: Fantastic. Now you both have shared such fantastic advice across the entire uh, podcast interview. So really appreciate that. As we look to wrap things up, um, is there a final piece of advice that you'd like to share with any uh, future founders or entrepreneurs who might be listening today?
0: You go first, Will. (laughs) No pressure.
2: I'm a big believer in finding a support network. I think being a founder is a lonely job and you can feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. So find organizations out there that connect you to your peers. And it could be an organization like the Upside Foundation, which hosts founder dinners and events, or it could be one that's more specifically tailored to creating peer networks like PeerScale or an accelerator program. Um, but I just find it's important to find those groups of people who are going through similar challenges? Because it'll it'll lead you one step closer to finding the tools you'll need to help with those challenges along the way.
0: Am I love to say what he said? Because <laughs> that was really good. Um, no, I think the thing I would layer on, wow, Will took the like business side, I'll, I'll take the lawyer side. Um, wow, that's a weird change of events. But I think the thing I'll say is like, don't be afraid to reach out to your counsel. Don't be afraid that you have a stupid question. And I think this goes for any professional services to be honest with you. When I first joined a law firm, my first thought was, well, my first thought probably was like, what the heck am I doing? Um, And I think the the second thought was, oh my God, these people are so smart and I am nowhere near that level. And there's no such thing as a stupid question if you're asking it, because if you're asking it, probably other people are asking it. And so this goes with accountants, lawyers, tax advisors, even just anyone that you're going to be working with, like service provider wise, don't be afraid to call them. Don't be afraid to ask questions because the worst thing they're going to tell you is no. (laughs) Right. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of something, especially if you're in an industry like med tech healthcare, fintech, anything heavily regulated, if you're offside, you don't want to deal with that can of worms. So it's better to figure out what that strategic plan is, talk to the experts, get a clear path forward, and then go forth.
1: Fantastic advice. Well, thank you uh, both so much for for sharing all of that. I've learned so much myself across this episode about Faskin and what it is that you do. So for anyone who's listening today and wants to learn more about Faskin, how can they do that?
2: You check out our website, www.faskin.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at Faskin Tech. Uh, And Kate and I are both on LinkedIn as well. If you ever want to connect with us, by all means, feel free to send us a DM.
1: Fantastic. Kate, anything to add on that?
0: Now, I think Will got it. I, he he stole my shout out. I was going to remind us to say, you know, follow, follow, follow Fast Can Tech on LinkedIn. The LinkedIn page is probably the more fun page where you'll find content and stuff. Fantastic. Real LinkedIn or DM or whatever it is these days that the kids say.
1: And I think you guys mentioned earlier as well, uh, you know, for entrepreneurs not to be afraid to reach out to have, you know, 30 minute call, you know, perhaps you guys can guide them in the, the right direction, whether it's, you know, working with you or taking a different step first. So I think that's uh, great. So for, for those listening today, definitely some great channels to learn more, reach out to, to Will and Kate directly as well. And uh, yeah, honestly, it's been uh, such a pleasure having you both on. This is the first episode we've done with with two guests. So really appreciate uh, that and really having the the perspective of, you know, supporting entrepreneurs in the ecosystem from the the legal and the the business advisory side. So I want to uh, thank you both so much for being here today.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks again.
1: For anyone new to the podcast, FrontFunder is Canada's leading equity crowdfunding platform enabling all Canadians to invest in the most exciting startups and growth stage companies, something that was previously only available to the 1%. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can have your questions answered in an upcoming episode. This podcast episode is for informational purposes only and should not constitute financial advice. Investors should conduct their own due diligence on any investment they may be considering on FrontFunder. For details of any offering listed on FrontFunder, refer to the offering document on their
0: campaign page at www.frontfunder.com.